Okay, here we go. Nice and quiet. Sound speeds, camera rolling. Holding for sound. Last looks. Calling for last looks. And set and action. I need to swap batteries. You know, making movies is hard. Making movies is hard. Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, the podcast about the struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I am Ork Brissell, the founding host of the podcast. I've been crewing up on sets for over 10 years. I've made dozens of films, shorts and features as either a producer or a director. And I'm just finishing up my first feature film as a writer-director, The Alternate, which is premiering at Dances with Films in Los Angeles on September 11th at 11.55 p.m. I hope you guys are all going to show up to this screening. It's going to be great. Um, all right. I am Liz Manischel. I'm a writer, director, producer uh, who has done that with two features. I'm also a former film critic and a current distribution consultant who does sales for indie films. And uh, my claim to fame is that I managed Sundance's creative distribution initiative. But enough about me. Uh, except for I'm going to now say that last week or two weeks, last week, Ulrich did an interview without me because I was celebrating my birthday. And Ulrich chatted with Elza Keffart. Um, Keppart? Keffart. Which one is it, Ulrich? Uh, let's go with Keppart. Elza Keppart, uh, writer and director of the comedy, of the comedy horror, of the horror comedy film Slacks, um, which is coming out on VOD, digital, and DVD September 7th. Uh, Ulrich, I mean, I haven't listened to it, but I believe Ulrich talks to Elza about being a genre filmmaker, how she came up with the idea for Slacks, and how she pitched it at Fantasia Film Festival. Okay, we're going to jump right into the interview, but afterwards, don't go away, because we have more topics to discuss, like film festivals, distribution, and we'll even answer a listener question. Um, and before you, we jump into the interview, I just want to say we want to give out a big shout out to the International Screenwriters Association, ISA, who is a brand new partner of ours. And just quick blurb on ISA. It's an organization designed to connect writers with filmmakers, and they have a bunch of programs they offer, including publishing your logline to network, a network of industry professionals. They offer consultation contests. They have a top 25 writers list. If you go to networkisa.org, you can sign up for free today. Thank you, ISA. And here we go. Ulrich's conversation with Elsa. Elza, welcome to Making Movies is Hard. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Making Movies is hard. So glad <laughs> to be here. <laughs> so please give us the elevator pitch for your film Slacks. Slacks, uh, Slacks is about a pair of killer pants. That's the super short elevator pitch where everyone goes, what? And I say, yeah, that's right. Killer pants. So it's about the story of a young uh, Indian child laborer who is picking cotton, something happens to her, we don't see it. And then um, it's really about uh, discovering why the killer pants, who, what the killer pants are, what they want, and how to stop them or not. And then how many days did you shoot the film? At 23. And what was the rough budget, if you can say, even, even if it's just no, rough? I don't, know, I don't think I can say it. <laughs> okay. From what I understand, uh, so no, I'd rather not. Uh, under 5 million, under 10 million? Under 5 million, yeah. Okay, cool. All right, we'll take that. Um, how did you come up with the, with the idea for the film? The idea came uh, just really by 
total happenstance. Um, I was on a road trip with the co-writer Patricia Gomez Latar, and we were we had another friend with us, and we were teasing each other to make the time pass about the words that we hated the most. And so our friend, our common friend, hates the words slacks and so we kept repeating it over and over to really bug her um and then in the end repeating slacks like this like slacks often enough it just my mind gradually thought of a killer pair of pants and I told Patricia who we had uh, we'd written and produced and I directed a, um, our first feature together so we were already in the like the horror vibe and so when I was like slack sounds like a killer pant a pair of killer pants she's like yes so it started from that and it it uh, took many many years and drafts to get to the point where it is today where it's actually about something and not just about a, a pair of killer pants so that was the initial process and then because Patricia worked uh, had worked at the Gap she worked in retail and because I've always been very weary of um, overconsumption and sort of corporate uh, brainwashing, all these concerns amalgamated finally into, into slacks and it naturally became what it had to be all along, which was about like a, a revenge fantasy, <laughs> killer pants as the <laughs> monster <laughs> slash, slash uh, avenging angel. Wow, amazing. Um, how long did you spend working on the film from coming up with the idea to it finally being released? Well, uh, 20 years. <laughs> I, yeah, I could have had a child and it, it, go to college right now. Well, <laughs> we were really young when we came up with the idea. We were 24 or something. Um, but it had to lay low for many, many years because at first it was just sort of a joke. And we, we knew there was a film in there somewhere, but we had to both mature. And then, so we wrote a draft that was sort of bad. And then another draft, which was getting better, which was set in a store. It used to be set in high school. And then, um, you know, we'd made a couple of features together and I was like, you know, Slacks, everyone just loves that idea. We should really like revisit it. And so uh, rewriting it didn't actually take that long. So it's 20 years, but not really, because for about 15 years, we didn't do hardly anything with it. Um, and then we rewrote it really quite quickly and maybe like not even six months or something um and then the the we had we pitched it at a film festival uh film market and the producer and Marie Gelina uh came on board really quickly because she loved the idea so once the the last draft of the script had been written it all came together really really quickly even the draft itself came together quickly so I would say from rewriting that draft which was in like 2016 to getting it made was uh four years about because we really finished it well no we finished it in 2019 so three years which is pretty average three years plus 20 years of waiting <laughs> or like 15 <laughs> years of waiting sometimes that's what it takes and then compared to all the other uh films you've made how difficult was this one? Oh, it was really well, it was really hard technically, but I would say because we had a, a really professional crew and professional actors, it went super smoothly. Everyone was like, really loved the film, really loved the idea. Uh, we decided to shoot in February when there was very little film work being done in Montreal. So we had access to a really amazing crew. Um, so the whole thing went quite smoothly, but the figuring out the pants and getting to get the pants to act was really hard because no one had ever acted with a pair of pants 
before, um, you know, and sometimes I've tried to explain something and it was hard to explain in words, like how I wanted the pants to act. So I would try to mimic it and stuff. Um, but, but the atmosphere, I mean, the atmosphere on the set was really good. The actors were awesome to work with. They were hilarious. So it's sort of a good time, but the, you know, you always need more time. You always need more, but in the end we made it work with the, the resources we had. So, so it was, it's good. Um, I want to unpack a, a bunch of things you said um, in the first few questions. So, um, you know, you'd mentioned that this was a 20 year process. So did you write this before your, you wrote your first feature that you actually made? No, no, we wrote it like maybe a year after. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Patricia and I had met um, just when I, we were sort of mutual friends in high school. And then when I got back from, got back from college, I went to college in, in uh, Boston and we were sort of, you know, joking around at a party and decided to make a zombie movie together. <laughs> and then the year after she moved to do her master's in Florida and I would go visit her. So that's when we got the idea for Slacks. Um, and so we had just sort of half finished a movie because it took a couple of years to finish. Um, so Slacks is sort of part of our lives for a long time. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I did a little research on you and I saw that you've had some, some pretty great, uh, film festival success, especially in the genre film festival space, um, which is the space I'm very interested in. Um, so I'm just curious, like, like, you know, I know this is kind of going to be a long answer, you know, sort of a meandering question, but, you know, is part of how you're able to get to the place where you're able to make slacks, like from the success of your first feature or was that sort of like just the launching pad that you got got you started you know um you know and then it was sort of one the next feature and then next and building off of that uh well I think every every film you make adds to your experience and adds to your credibility so if I had just shown up with slacks you know when I was 24 even though people loved the idea I don't think I would have gotten the financing uh because because I was still very young and I had only had like one crazy zombie movie under my belt. So I had to make more films to sort of understand, especially my process as a, as a filmmaker, as a writer, and to get, become more confident with myself. But also I worked a lot on um, an American production shooting in Montreal, especially in the art department. And that really helped me, that experience helped me understand how to communicate with people. And I also worked a lot as a personal assistant to directors. So I would observe directors, see how they, you know, talk to the cast and the crew. So all of this coupled with my own film experience made me finally be able to say, okay, I think I can with confidence go about making this, this crazy film. So, you know, it has been a long time, but I'm not sure I would have been necessarily ready to make it, uh, psychologically before because I mean maybe I, I could have done it like in my late 30s but um I needed to accumulate all this experience and really know myself because it's such a weird film that if I said like it needs to be like this like I want this like this and I was much younger I think people wouldn't necessarily have listened to me or taken me seriously or I wouldn't have been able to defend my own choices um, but because I had this baggage and this experience and self-confidence, I was uh, able to defend my, my ideas um, without necessarily always knowing why, you know, like, why do you want this wide lens? I'm like, 
I don't know. I just feel it. You know, I can't explain <laughs> to you. I'm not going to write like a, a film essay about why I like using white lenses. <laughs> you have to trust me on this, you know. Um, and then in the end, people did. So it's all been a, a life process getting to this point. So to talk about um, doing the pitch at the film market um, for Slacks, like, were you there for another film and you just had the opportunity to pitch or were you, did you go to multiple markets and, and which market was it, was it that you actually were able to pitch the film and find your producer? So it was the Fantasia Frontiers co-production market, which I'd been going for a long time. It started, I think, in 2012 and we pitched in 2017, I think. Um, but prior to that, Patricia and I had written um, a pitch for a, TV, a vampire TV show, and we'd been accepted to this workshop in Italy. And one of the workshops we were given was how to pitch, and we had to pitch at a TV market. And that was like maybe six months before the Slacks pitch. And so we'd really gotten quite good training. And the Italians were really brutal. Like we would practice the pitch and they'd like, no, this is terrible. Get off the stage. And so, and so when we applied, I mean, so I knew about the, the Fantasia market and we applied with the script. And when we were accepted and we had to pitch in front of an audience, we were really, really well prepared by that brutal Italian workshop. And so we were able to really make an impact. And we were, we had been selected as like the, in the women's corner, I call it. Um, and so luckily there were much fewer pitches. We were about six and, and the, the, actually the audience was really packed. And so instead of having like half a day of like grueling pitches, they had really short pitches and much fewer of them. So I think the audience was really ready to hear us. And when we came on board and did our like mini presentation, everyone was like, what is this? And then the, and Marie Gelina, the, the producer who ended up coming on board was like, I want this, I want this, I want this girls, I want this right away. And we were like, oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so, so, I mean, I think it, again, it was like a lifetime sort of going to Fantasia, going to those markets, seeing those pitches, practicing, practicing with other projects. It all, it's all accumulated knowledge. And maybe if like, I don't know, hopefully we can make our vampire show. That would be really fun, but you know, maybe it was just good training for this moment. So I think it's all part of the same, it's all part of, of learning and you never know when something you learn is gonna be useful. So I think it's always good to just try opportunities that present themselves and then maybe they'll lead you somewhere really unexpected. Um, digging into the, the Fantasia pitch a little bit more, like, did you have visual aids or anything? Or was it just you two on stage pitching? Like, what was your process of your pitch? And how long was it? Was it 10 minutes, five minutes, 20 minutes? No, I think it was six minutes or something. It was quite short. Um, uh, we had the poster. So like um, in 2005, I think, is it 2000? Oh my God, it, it sounds like it's so long ago, but it is. Um, I really like coming up with posters for my own films. And so I had this sort of flash of an idea for a poster. And so back in 2000, whatever, like uh, we decided to try and pitch it at the Toronto Film Festival, which was not the right place at all. But we ended up making a poster for that, for that market, um, not even market for that, what we thought would be a great way to find a producer. And so we had this poster sort of hanging around and everyone loved it. They're like, oh my God, the Slacks poster is the best. It's so great. So we just had this thing and we were like, well, we'll just use that as a visual aid because it sort of speaks the whole thing. 
it speaks to what the, the, the vibe of the film is. And so I think, and we didn't have anything else. I mean, I had done a lot of visual research, but we didn't have a, a lookbook or anything. Uh, we just had that big poster like behind us. And then we just talked to the audience. We just practiced, we had practiced and practiced the pitch. So it was like a performance. So Patricia and I would like, I would start and then she would continue and vice versa. So we performed uh, in front of this, this huge poster of slacks. And I think because a lot of people sort of knew who we were, um, that helped. We weren't completely unknowns. You know, so we'd hung around the market for enough years, like, please listen to us, please listen to us. But when we came with something that sort of sold itself, it, it all really came together. And had you had a film play at the festival at that point, or was it you were just had gone to the market years and years and years? No, I had had my first feature, Graveyard Alive, as long as Nurse in Love, okay. played in, at Fantasia in 2003. And I had been going to Fantasia almost since it started. Um, oh. and then I had a short film play there, I think in 2006 or something. So, but I hadn't, didn't have that much. My second feature didn't play a fantasy. I played at a, a more art house film festival because it was not a horror film. Um, and so I was sort of there <laughs> in the background, people knew who I was, but uh, it'd been a long time since I'd made something. So I think just the kookiness of the, of the project is what really got people excited. And then when they saw the poster, they're like, okay, there's, there's thought behind this, you know? And then when we pitched the thing, they're like, okay, there's a real story. This it's like really well-structured and it, ma it makes sense. So I think we took everyone by surprise. That was a real big advantage. And then um, once you got your producer on board, was it like, okay, we're off the races, money's here, let's go make the movie. Or was that just the beginning of the pitching process where you had to pitch multiple financiers over and over and again until you like actually secured your financing? Well, we, so we're Canadian, so we have a very different system where we go through the grants. We have two funding agencies. We have Telefilm Canada, which is like the federal agency, and then the SODEC, which is the Quebec provincial agency. So, and they have deadlines. So we applied to the SODEC, which I think the deadline was like a month after Fantasia, which was totally insane, but we were pretty ready. And then we didn't get the funding this first time, but they loved the project. So we were pretty sure that the second round we were gonna get the money, which we did. And then once we had secured SODEC financing telefilm, which was also trying, looking to get into horror um, and women and, you know, supporting women filmmakers, they, because SODEC was on board with a big chunk of the money, they sort of just came on board naturally. And then was Anne-Marie uh, who secured with a, a, a U.S. partner the rest of the financing. So I wasn't there. I didn't see any of that. I was really a director for this one. Um, um, but it did come together pretty quickly. I think just because the concept was so insane. And once people read the script, they're like, oh, it's about something amazing. Okay. Yeah. The, the, the financing from Canada must be super nice too, just to have like a good starting place to jump yeah. off of. You know, but I'm sure that it's what probably also one of those things where not every film gets it right. Like, you oh, know, no. it's like not just like, oh, I'm in Canada. I just get no. the finance because sometimes you hear American producers talk about that. Like I had one producer who was like, oh, I'm, I'm like got a Canadian visa. Like, let's put a Canadian person in this movie and then we'll you'll just get the money off instantly. And I was like, I don't think that's how it works. <laughs> no, no. I mean, there's two things. There's tax credits, which American productions can get just by. By shooting here so that's not you don't even have to really apply but you have to front the money and then they, they reimburse you 
And then there's the, the, the granting system to really fund Canadian artists. And that's, you know, between five and 10% get production financing. So it's a very, very small number. And if you, if you get refused twice at the SODEC, the provincial body, you can't resubmit. So then there's no oh. real other way, you know, you could have been working on a script for years and then for some reason, it's just not good enough. Or maybe there's too many of that same script that year or whatever. You're just like, there's no alternative. And we don't, I mean, I guess I could go to the States. I mean, I guess I can, cause I have American citizenship, but I mean, other people, they don't really, if their film is in French, like yeah. they don't, and they don't necessarily know how to maneuver the American system. I still don't really. Um, so it has a real double-edged sword. It's not definitely not as easy. And it's like, for example, horror was not regarded for many, many years. It just didn't think it was a real art form. So I really struggled for a long time to get production financing. And because of a changing of the guard, especially at this provincial agency, uh, it was a woman who came on who really liked horror. I think that really changed things around for a lot of us. Finally, horror was not just tolerated, but was something that they actively look for, and they they try to make space for it in their finance in their um, financing. I don't know grid, you know. So you, you like if there's five dramas and uh, zero horror, then you have a good chance, or one horror, then you have a good chance of getting the financing because it means it, it's diversifying the films they finance. Um, so is that why you made uh, more of a fantasy film for your second film and not like a straight up horror genre film? Or was that just because that was the story that you wanted to tell? Yeah, that was really the story I wanted to tell. Um, I, I knew I wanted to tell like a more sort of intimate, smaller story. And it, again, it had been a story that had been running around my head for a long time. Um, so that's why that didn't really come into my mind because I didn't get financing for that one. Oh. I, applied, I applied to the arts councils, which are for like really artistic niche projects and didn't get it. And I, I applied for the grants actually for post-production. I didn't get it. So I had to self-finance that one. Oh. And that one, it was even weirder. It's like totally out of any category. And so, yeah, no, it wasn't a, a strategic choice. Let's just say so in that situation, when you do have to self-finance, is, is it is it that point that you're like going to try to find, um, you know, just financiers or who you know or people who might be able to, you yeah. know, jump in? Yeah, I mean, that one was financed by like crowdfunding and my own oh. savings and my, my family. So I think I was just at a point where I really needed to make another film and there was this sort of smaller... Um, more manageable story which in the end was not the case because I wanted to shoot in really far away locations so we ended up shooting in like locations that were insanely hard to get to <laughs> yeah so that was a bit of a learning curve like if you know shoot around your your budget like make sure you can do what you what you can do instead of like going for an Herzog you know <laughs> was it like local locations where you just had to do a lot of hiking to get to them or was it more like you you flew to other countries and stuff no no we didn't fly it was all shot in quebec but quebec's very very big and so one location was a 12-hour drive away because i had to oh. shoot on this like insane island and then we had to take a zodiac <laughs> to go shoot on this island wow. i mean it looks 
great. It, it, it works in the end, you know, but um, I had done like a huge location tour of Quebec with some location managers years before and sort of picked the locations. <laughs> I don't know how people were like, yeah, sure. That sounds great, Elsa. Let's make this like Adam and Eve mythical, intimate bio journey in the far reaches of Quebec. <laughs> That's funny. Um, so, uh, like, sorry, I had a really good question and it sort of fell out of my head. Um, yeah. Um, so I guess the question is, like, do you think of yourself as a genre filmmaker? Like, is that kind of what yeah. defines you as an artist or are you kind of open to like other types of films and ideas? I mean, genre, I yeah, I definitely, I've, I've never been interested in, well, it's not true. I think uh, when I was a kid, I always loved really dark stuff. Like I read really dark materials, like mysteries and fantasy and supernatural stuff. And then I went to film school and I sort of forgot that that's what I really loved. And so I, I was like, oh, I guess I'm going to make dramas. I don't know. Like, I don't know what I'm going to make. And then when I got back and I wrote the zombie movie with Patricia and I did research, uh, visual research that I sort of fell back into all the, the horror movies. And I was like, wait a minute, this is what I really like. Yes. Okay. And so I wouldn't say everything I make is always going to be the same. Like I made a zombie movie, Slacks is like a slasher. Um, you know, I'm developing other stuff that's not necessarily... Um, but doesn't necessarily have a monster but there's always like a weird element that's not really of this world and that, that is definitely what interests me um I'm not interested in telling stories that don't have a, a supernatural or at least a really like absurd sort of violent element I, I couldn't I was like I couldn't Imagine making a family drama. Yet I wrote one in college, but I never made it. So maybe that's that's telling. So one of the things that we talk about on the show a lot, just because we try to, you know, to sort of lift the veil on filmmaking and what it really means to be an independent filmmaker. Um, are you now at this point after three features providing for yourself off of your filmmaking? Or are you still like working as an assistant, doing art department work, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, well, I, to be honest, I haven't worked in film feature films um since slacks not because like work is magically coming to me um but because i had savings from slacks and i get little contract work like to do you know script consulting here and there um script coordinating like i'm doing that for a tv show i don't really want to work in productions anymore like I think being a director and then being told what to do, like, I don't, I mean, I'm not sure. I, I, I'm going to apply for, for screenwriting. You can apply for development financing in Quebec. So I have another project. I'm going to apply to that, hopefully get the, the money. Cause that's also how I've been working, uh, making a living is, you know, once every two or three years, I'll get a development grant. And so that takes me, you know, I can live off that for a couple of, a couple of years. Um, but I try to, you know, really have a minimal lifestyle so I don't have to, I don't have to spend a lot of money to, to live because I don't really want to work for people. I want to create my own ideas and that takes a lot of mental space, you know? So, but Hey, if I have to work, if I have to end up working 
I don't think I'll be getting work as an assistant. I'm too old after like, <laughs> after like 35, I try to get work as an assistant once or twice and I didn't get in. And I was like, what? I'm like, all right, I'm old. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, but it's time I'm, for someone else. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, if I have to, I, I will, but I would rather not uh, like the corporate machine of, of Hollywood and being a peon in that. I, I think I would have a real hard time going back to that. So after making three features, like, do you feel like it got like easier each step of the way to like get the project off the ground and secure funding and everything? Or was it kind of just as hard each time, but just in different ways? No, Slacks was easier for sure. I mean, I'd never had, I had never gotten production financing. I had gotten development financing uh, over the years. So, and I was amazed how, and I had tried to get production financing. I had applied for for grants here and there but I had never gotten it so I think slacks I think it was just a good combination of the film the timing and the team that made it easy because it's not always easy for for everyone um I was I was quite surprised actually how how well received it was I thought the Quebec funding body would be much more uh, uh what's the word not weary, but you know, I thought they'd ask us to do proof of concept of the pants and stuff, and not at all. They're like, "So, how are you going to do this?" And we explained it to them. They're like, "Okay, sounds great." And I was like, "What?" Like, <laughs> okay, I guess. They're like, "No, no, you're a good team. We trust you." I'm like, "Oh, okay." So that really surprised me. I mean, I think there's always challenges. Like, I'm writing this other script now, which is set in Quebec and it's French in French, but that is a very it's like more like a psychological drama with a possession element. So that's a whole, it's a, it's a higher budget. Um, and you would think it would be easier, but because the script itself is much trickier, it's much more nuanced. That's presenting its own challenges because it has to be just so like slacks is sort of so insane that it just worked because it was insane. And this one, we were realizing that it's a real fine line. And if too much one way, it's not going to work and too much the other way it's not going to work and so it's it's a whole new set of challenges but I think it would be like that for any project but at least now I think that if they they read the script and they see my director's treatment and they they look at slacks I think there's a, a good I wouldn't say a better chance but at least they know that I can deliver something that on paper might be hard to imagine well, they know that I have um, I have the experience to do that, but it's pretty tricky in Quebec. You don't get like a green, you don't get a blank check. They really make sure that the money they have they invest in right real projects. So you can't rest on your laurels and be like, oh well, my previous film worked so well. This one is a shoe in. No, no, they make you go through the ringer, which I think is quite good actually. So the. Do you, like, you know, Slacks is just coming out on uh, VOD and, and, you know, on demand and everything. But, um, you know, it's been out in the festivals and everything. Do you feel like your life has changed at all as a filmmaker due to the success of Slacks? Or is it kind of like, you know, this movie is done. I'm really proud of it. I'm happy with it. But now it's just on to the next one. You know, same challenges as, you know, before. Well, to be perfectly honest, I thought because Slacks was released during COVID, I didn't get to go to the festivals. 
Mm. And that's where I was expecting to meet a lot of people, you know, like agents, managers, film, um, like producers uh, that I'd be able to like pitch my crazy ideas that don't really work in Canada. Like I have some TV shows that sort of need to be made out of the States. And, and I sort of <laughs> missed, uh. missed that boat. And so people are like, oh, wow, you must be pitching a million things. And I was like, no, I'm just sort of sitting here working on my crazy projects, just as, as the same as I, I am usually. Um, so I wouldn't say my life has changed like on a day-to-day basis. Um, but I would say that my confidence in myself as a filmmaker and as a writer has, has been, let's just say it has been validated where I wasn't sure before of my skills. Now I'm like, okay, I can do this. And so, um, I feel that's really important for the next films I'm going to make is that I, I feel confident and I can trust my artistic intuition because I know that during slacks when I wasn't sure exactly why I wanted something or why something had to be this way. And I proved right. My instinct proved right. Then I can, I can rely on that in the future um, to say, well, look, I'm not sure why I want this room to be red, but I just, it needs to be red. Remember in slacks when I was like, I want the base to be like that. And it turned out <laughs> right. Well, this is the same thing. And then, <laughs> You know, I think that goes a long way because it's a lot of money. It's a lot of stress. Like producers put a lot of, put, they risk a lot by investing in film, even if it's not always their, their money. So I think the relationship with the producers has, has um, changed in a way because now they trust that I can deliver something that's really bizarre. Yeah. Um, so the question is, what advice do you have to like a filmmaker who is like just made their first feature film. They're trying to get it out into the world. They're going to their first film festivals. They're, you know, trying to make them as accessible as possible. Like, you know, you've had a lot of film festival success. Like what, what should the person in that situation do? Well, definitely, um, definitely get out of your comfort zone. Like I'm very introverted and I hate talking to people. (laughs) Uh, I, not like I don't hate talking to people I mean like you I don't hate talking to you but I like at parties I'm like there with my class like ugh. um so try to get into, out of your comfort zone my producer Anne-Marie said she always tries when she's at parties to talk to three new people which I think is really great um and and it's good I think if you have ideas in the that you're working on it's good to have them ready to practice because what I realized with slacks is that it was, I was able to pitch it and I could see people were really excited. And I was like, okay, this, if I can do this, if I can pitch this, just this two, you know, two minute pitch and people are excited, that means a good thing. It's a good thing. And then other projects that I sort of meander and I don't really have a great pitch and I could tell people are like, "Uh uh-huh, then it's not ready. (laughs) Like, (laughs) you know, it's a good gauge of how ready your ideas are to be, uh, to be produced um, and just, you know, meet people. You never know who you're going to meet, who, where they're going to end up at and where they can be helpful. I mean, I wouldn't say like, just be, you know, a Machiavellic about it, just to be <laughs> honest, but you know, you never know if someone, a, produ- a filmmaker you meet is going to end up doing something great and remembering you and liking you and helping you to open doors. And 
Um, and, you know, go see lots of films. I think being in a film festival is amazing to see films really immersed. And I remember going to TIFF uh, to the Toronto Film Festival because I was in a, like a director's, it's called the Canadian Film Centre. It's a bit like the AFI and we had a free pass at TIFF. And, uh, and I saw so many films and this is going to maybe sound bad when I say this, but I finally understood what directing meant. Before I could sort of, I was like, yeah, sure. You put the camera over here. But then after seeing like 40 films or whatever, I was like, okay, I know, I know what good directing means now. I can, I can tell. And so there's something to be said for that, for like absorbing an insane amount of films all in, all in one go. Um, and, you know, getting to know programmers, programmers are usually really, really nice and they really love films and they can open doors for you um if they know you so just you know meet people and be be nice to them don't be an asshole go to the festivals don't be an asshole yeah sounds like that's the main takeaway i've got <laughs> from this. and watch lots of films yeah yeah no i i i got to go to a bunch of festivals on one of my my first short films that got into a few and so i got to go to like five or, or eight or something like that oh, wow. and it was uh it was a lot of fun you know um I actually got to go to Toronto, to Toronto After Dark. Shout out to those guys. That was really fun. So, um, so yeah, but yeah, no, that that's like my experience too. It's just like meeting filmmakers, talking to filmmakers, having a blast, enjoying films, you know, supporting your film, being your biggest cheerleader. Yeah. You know, those are the kinds of things that, you know, I always say, so sounds like similar, yeah. similar thought processes. Um, so we have the final um five questions uh, and these can be slightly longer answers than the first five. So I'm just going to go right into the first one. Um, and you can answer this however you want. It can be your first short film, your first feature, whatever. Um, what's the first film you ever made and how do you feel about it now? <laughs> oh my God. The first film I ever made was, uh, I was 12 and it was called Fisherella. It was a, a sort of a compendium of a lot of fairy tales um, and I got my friends to star in it and I acted in it too. And I remember I was really mad because I didn't understand when I was 12 that a VHS doesn't look good. <laughs> like the VHS. <laughs> I was like, why does it look like it's on the film, on the film screen? It looks like shit. I was really mad. <laughs> <laughs> you hadn't guess, learned about lenses yet. <laughs> no, it's just like a just VHS camera I bought with some money from a birthday. And, um, <laughs> And I guess it taught me that I, looking back, that I was always interested in sort of fairy tales and mythology, which I think is horror film is like a, a different aspect of that. Yeah. Um, what's the best filming advice you've ever received? Go make films. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have a goal as a filmmaker? I didn't used to have a goal, um, but now because since 2018, I really understood the depth of the climate crisis uh, and how much we need to change our way of thinking about the world, uh, in, especially in the Occidental Western world. My goal is to use my art to make people reflect, uh, reflect upon that. Very well thought. Most people are like, ah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> if you could go back in time, what's one piece of advice you would give yourself? <sighs> mm. 
Oh, wow. That's a hard one. There's a lot. <laughs> I guess. Oh, listen to your instinct. And then the last question, is making movies hard? Yes. <laughs> but great also in the scene. It's both great and hard. So it's not because it's hard that it's not, it shouldn't be done. It gives a sort of meaning uh, to life, like, like making art, which I think is, is more important than having it easy all the time. Um, and since we have a few more minutes, I just want to sneak up one more question and I'll make it a Slack's question. So talk to us about like the most um, bizarre over the top, like stunt that you had to film on this, on the shoot, or it doesn't even have to be the most bizarre one, but like a, a, a great stunt story that was a challenge to get right on camera. Um, well, definitely the influencer death, because we did that in one take, not one take. We did many takes, but we did that in one uninterrupted shots. And in the end, we ended up cutting it up uh, for editing for timing purposes. But uh, but yeah, if you can imagine doing that one, one death in one take and getting it right, insane. And, and the actress did it, I don't know, we think we did it 13 times. And she did her monologue 13 times, like bang on. Well, that was the most impressive uh, I would say coordination of acting and uh, special effects skills all at once. Because was it is it was it puppets or like a puppeteer for the pants yeah. the whole time? Wow, yeah. amazing! Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how many people did it take to operate the pants? It depended on the shot because every shot needed almost every shot needed a different rig. Um, so it depended on the rig. Really, if it was just walking, it was one person. If it was its face, it was two people. Um, it was more, no more than two. Okay. Um, but, uh, oh no, once it was three, cause it had to jump. So it was like two people were the legs and one person's the mouth. Um, so, but it really depended every, like I said, every shot was, was different. Awesome. Uh, and just how long was that long take that you did? Do you remember like the, the, the time of it? I don't know, maybe two, two minutes or something. Oh my God. And then you cut it up in the edit. Was that like a killer moment for you or that you guys had to do that? Was it, it really was, hard? It was, there were a few shots like this, like the opening was supposed to be um, uh, one shot one and the, the timing just didn't work. And so that was really hard because we did, we spent half a day getting that one, the, the opening montage, some really montage anymore. And then, yeah, the one where with the, uh, with the influencer death, it was hard, but it was the right decision. It needed to be, the rhythm needed to be accelerated. And uh, in the end, you know, you do what's best for the film. You have to forget how, how hard it was and how long it took and how awesome it is technically. And you just have to, to do what the film needs. Do you think on your next one, you'll plan less oneers like that, knowing that they'll probably get cut up? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Oh, it's not my style. You know, I think for some people, it's really their style. But for me, it's not. It was sort of like, I thought it would be cool. But I have to do what the, my style dictates. Yeah. I just went through that. that. Yeah. I, same thing happened to me on, on my film. I, I'm just finishing up my first feature. And uh, yeah, we had tons of winners that were going to be winners. And they yeah. got chopped up. Half of them got cut from the movie. It's like, <laughs> Okay. I wish I would have known that before I spent, yeah, six hours yeah. working on it. <laughs> I think 
you just, you do, I mean, I think it's, you have to you develop a style and if that doesn't end up being your style, but there's always things on a film where you're like, oh, this is going to be great. We're going to do it just like that and spend hours doing just that. And then in the end, the film doesn't want it. The film knows what it needs and it's going to, and you better listen. I guess that's a good piece of advice is the film knows and the script knows what it needs to be beyond you. So you better listen. You're like a vessel. So you better listen to what the piece of art is telling you to do and get out of, get your ego out of the way of the piece. Cause I think there's, we're like, we're sort of like uh, satellites, you know, satellite dishes. We receive information and it goes through us and the thing gets sort of filtered through you, of course. So you do, it, it does take on your perspective, but it is its own thing. So you have to listen to what the thing, the thing wants to do. That's like amazing advice. <laughs> Yeah, definitely going to take that to my next project. Um, well, thank you so much for your time. This has been fantastic. Uh, where should people go to watch Slacks? Oh, uh, well, you can definitely go to our website, slacksmovie.com, because then there's a list um, of, of all the places you can go. Um, you can go watch it. It depends what territory you're in. So, yeah. Nice. Awesome. And, and when does it come out? Uh, is it already out now or coming out soon? Well, it's out on uh, Shutter in the U.S. and um, other English language countries. It's out in Canada. It's online already. And on September 7th, it's, uh, the DVD release and different platforms. So, and it's got special features, I hope, on it. Commentary track, maybe, on the DVD? Um, it doesn't have a commentary track, but oh. it does. I know. I was like, wait a minute. It doesn't have a <laughs> I just realized that myself. Um, uh, but it does have it does have like a lot of behind the scenes. We've had a great uh, behind oh, the scenes nice. video maker. And so, you know, you get to see a lot of the pants and the cast and, uh, and all that stuff. Awesome. So people at September 7th, check out the DVD and I'm sure this will come out either right before this at September 7th or right after September 10th. So either way, check it out. <laughs> all right. Tell us since I wasn't there, um, tell us, just sum up everything that um that you talked with elsa about um yeah pop pop quiz hot shot she was amazing um i'm so jealous of her career this is gonna say it be very honest uh she makes movies um pretty much full-time now uh she does the whole grant thing um you know that's kind of one of the ways she pays the bills um and she just goes from project to project she was like um, working on sets like in the art department um, and as an assistant and doing things like that. But, you know, she's um, I think she said she was like in her early 40s, I believe. Yeah. So like she likes like I can't do that anymore. <laughs> like, like even when I was doing it, I think she was saying like in her mid 30s, it was like, you know, too too much. <laughs> Like, like just just a lot of labor and the hours. No, just like applying for assistant jobs as like a thirty-five year old or a thirty-two year old or however old she was. It was just like she she had something. She outgrew those. Yeah, she's like just couldn't be doing it that anymore, you know. And now that she's like you know made three features, it's just like you know, that's not the work she's going back to. So she's just you know doing other things, consulting, writing, you know, and then like doing the grant thing and but like with being in Canada, like talking about the fundraising with her was really interesting because like it was all like you know like kind of generated off of the government money 
but one of the things that she said that was really interesting is like people hear about this and I've actually had American producers be like, yeah, I've got Can- Can- Canadian citizenship. Let's like go to Canada and like make a movie there and like get the government money. And, you know, what she was stressing is that it's like, yeah, do you realize how many people apply for this and like how many movies get selected? Like I've applied to this project that these, 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 you know, um, there's two different agencies that do it and she's applied to both of them multiple times and never gotten it until Slack's. Like, Slacks was the mm-hmm. first time where she got any government money. You know, and the other films she made, she either self-funded or did crowdfunding. You know, so while this does exist, it's not like, oh, my God, just because you're a Canadian filmmaker, you're like, you get to make your own movies. It's like, no, you still have to apply. You still have to go for it. And for a long time, I guess, they didn't recognize horror as, like, a genre of note, um, you know, at these agencies, uh, these you know, whoever's making the, the decision. But, like, in the recent years... They've decided to uh, allot like a certain percentage of their funds to genre, to horror. And so she thought that was part of the reason why she was able to get the grant was because, you know, she was applying as a horror project and like, you know, she was able to like, you know, kind of get into that niche that they have available for it. Um, So, yeah, it was a really interesting conversation. She's fascinating to talk to. I really want to watch Slacks now. Uh, it sounds like an awesome movie. It looks movie. so good. Yeah. It looks so fun. And I, I mean, I don't know. Like, I really can't wait to see what she makes next. I mean, I know it's going to be awesome, whatever it is. Um, and she, like, kind of, she talked about how, like, she, like, started as a genre filmmaker. Then she made this movie that was more fantasy and drama and, like, just kind of experimental. And it sort of took her away from that. And now she's, like, back in the genre world and, like, loving it. And, like, that's sort of where she wants to be, you know. And I'm like, yeah, I feel that. I feel that same thing. Um, but yeah, but Liz, uh, I think uh, it's time for another soap dish. I'm Lori Craven, and I'm an actress. An actress, really? How nice for you. I'm Betsy Faye Sharon, and I'm a bitch. Um, so Liz, this just feels like my corner to like just vent to you and like you know ask you questions, <laughs> um, which is great. As, as everyone knows, I'm in the middle of my film festival run uh, for the alternate, or not the middle, I guess the very beginning, is to be to be honest. Um, I have, we haven't played a festival yet. We're premiering at Dances with Films September 11th, just so your brains get that injected into them. Um, 11.55 p.m. Yes. You, you I bought the, the tickets, <laughs> by the way, so Yay. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to give them away when anyone wants them. I'm excited. Um, but, uh, but yeah, one of the things that's been happening since I've, uh, you know, gotten to DWF is I, I start to get emails from producers reps and sales reps, um, asking about the alternate and they, they're like, Oh, congratulations on your DWF premiere. Like, here's what we do. Like, send us the movie. We'd love to see it, you know? And, uh, I've gotten probably seven, six of these so far. Um, I bet I could guess at least two of them. Okay. And if you give me the other five. I will most likely have heard of all of them. Do you want to guess, or do you, should we play this guessing game, or should we not out them on the show? I. <laughs> uh, you're right. We shouldn't out them. We won't out them. <laughs> well, anyways, like they range from like when I, because you know I have the benefit of having a producer who knows all these people and is like in distribution and sells movies and. Yeah. I've sold a lot of his movies without reps of any kind. And uh, so, like, I, I'm able to just vet all these people with him and be like, oh, yeah, they're like, these guys are great. Oh, it's a good company. We should definitely, like, you know, follow up with them. Um, oh, these people, we could probably do better than them, but blah, blah, blah. But basically, the thing that we're doing is, like, just responding to each person and then um, saying, oh, well, we'll share you the movie with you once the premiere happens. Like, we don't want to share the movie with them until the premiere. We're just sort of waiting and sort of just, you know, not releasing it to them now just because 
I don't know why. That's what Def Jeff told me to do. <laughs> I don't think you'd be in trouble if you shared it with them now. But I, I, I get that. And I think that's a strategy that people used to really act. And they used to do for a long time. So, I mean, it's it's a standard. I think the other thought is that, like, you know, we're not sure what other film festivals are going to play, and there's a chance that we could play a festival that's, like, you know, got a bigger name than Dances. Uh, no offense to Dances. But, like, or at least is, like, a bigger genre film festival than Dances. Like, mm-hmm. we have a couple of those that we're, like, kind of maybe on the short list for, you know? And so... I guess the thought is we don't want to sign up with any rep or anything until we play the the biggest festival we're going to play because then we might Correct. attract better reps, you know? Correct. And we don't want to, yeah. like, shut ourselves off early and, like, get locked in to people who maybe right, aren't the best for us. but then watching the movie doesn't... If there are people that you don't take seriously anyway, then it, it doesn't matter if they watch the movie now is how I mm, feel. Mm, like, the movie's not going to change. But if there are people that you think you could have... You could leverage a better deal for yourself if you premiere at a better festival. Then, yes, I would wait till they watch it under those conditions. So I guess the question for you is there's a couple questions. But the main thing is like for somebody who is like maybe in a similar situation with me, but doesn't have the person to vet them or doesn't really know much about this world of sales reps and producers reps. Like what? What is the value that they bring to a project, and like why should we care and like want these people to sign up and try to rep our movies for us when we could like go out to like ten ninety one or you know other production like distributors just directly? Like why do we want these other people? You can go to distributors directly, but it doesn't mean that they're going to take you as seriously as they would if someone came and pitched the film on your behalf. Mm. And since I I started doing sales this year, and I've done sales for I just got a new client. I just met with them today. Um, so I, th- I think I have like half a dozen sales clients right now. And it makes a huge difference if I go to a distributor and I say, I love this movie. You have to look at it. Versus, um, I'm an indie filmmaker. I made this movie. It was a labor of love. Will you take? It would be great to work with you. Would you take a look at it? Mm-hmm. Those are two different places. One is a place of strength. Like, I want to loop you in. This is a movie you, that's appropriate for you, and I'm recommending it on behalf of the film team. But really, there's a lot of passion here. And then there's like a little bit, and I love desperation, but there's a little bit of desperation when the filmmaker does it themselves, huh. and they can sniff that out. And so it's a place of power. That being said, it doesn't have to be a sales rep, a producer rep, or a sales agent who does that. It could be a filmmaker who worked with that distributor before who could be like, hey, my buddy made this movie. I really love it. Will you take a look? And that you're not paying someone 15, 20, 30% of your revenue and an upfront fee to do that. Mm. And so are you basically in the same category as these people, like doing the same kind of job, like, but just as a freelancer? Yeah, but I built... I. My model is built as a counter to theirs. So I found out the lowest price sales agent and I priced myself $1,000 less than them. And then I don't take any revenue from the back end because I believe that revenue should go to the, the LLC, should go to the filmmaking. So you don't take, a, pers- you don't take a percentage of, at all? You no. just take a fee? 
I just take an upfront fee. And then what I tell people and what I truly believe is my work is mission-based. I am a matchmaker. I'm trying to make matches between distributors and filmmakers. And I help inform negotiations from a place of you having most control, you being able to get out if there's a bankruptcy, um, you having a, for flexibility, with a sense of flexibility. Whereas many producers, reps, sales agents, and sales reps operate from a place of profit motivated. So they'll make the best deal, financial deal, like the one with the most amount of upfront money or the most guaranteed money. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the best match. And ultimately, it might put you on a platform that you don't even want to be on that most people won't want to watch, right? Mm -hmm. So I think there's like a little bit of nuance to it that I'm trying to bring. Right. So like, yeah, a sales agent may try to just get the biggest upfront money, the biggest deal, but like they're not really concerned with how your movie is being represented or where it's going. Mm -hmm. It's more like just like where is the most money? To be fair, some are. And also, the most money may be $2,500. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And that sales agent already has their upfront fee from you. And then they get 15, 10, 20% of that $2,500. So it's just, I think it's, if that's the only money you're going to get from a distributor, I just think you're going in the red immediately if you're making the wrong choice and who your partner is there. So all these reps, they're all going to want uh, an upfront fee in addition to a percentage, or are some of them just going to take the percentage only? Um, most take an upfront fee. And um, I don't know all because there's a lot out there, and I think there's a lot out there that are not filmmakers so they don't know the way we've suffered for (laughs) for getting our projects off the ground um there are a few good sales reps and agents out there so i don't want to speak ill of everyone but i want to say that the way you kind of suss out whether they're worthwhile or not is you often just go to their website Mm -hmm. right and you just look to see what other titles have they done and do you want to be in their company and obviously we've talked about this before you can reach out blindly and coldly to those filmmakers and ask them if they've been happy. But most likely, most filmmakers will say they were not happy with their sales agent or sales rep. (laughs) Because most filmmakers like have, I think, a distorted view of what their film could do because they don't know how bad the marketplace is. Mm. So I think there's, in general, just a level of disappointment across the board for a lot of filmmakers. Right, because all the filmmakers are expecting that they're going to make more money or get more eyeballs right. on it or whatever, and then like their reps only only deliver so much, but like right. maybe that is actually what this movie is capable of, that. or the the best they could possibly do, and there's no better, you know, for that yeah. movie. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Well, you know, I don't, I don't really know um, what we're gonna do or what the decision is gonna be because I had a conversation with Jeff about this, and like, you know, we we're talking about, like, he because he was saying like, oh, well, like I'll do do- deals directly with, you know, different uh, distributors, and then he was then he was talking about like getting like a rep or, or having someone like Gersh or, or CCA like you know take the movie out and wrap it, and I was like, well, why would you do that if you've sold to these same people that wow. they're going to and then he was saying <clears throat> in certain situations when the movie is hot like if those kinds of agencies want the movie and want to rep it their ability to get a better deal for the movie is like a lot better than his for instance you know right and it probably offsets their percentage to be fair but if uh, like 
if if someone said Gersh wants to um, take your film and rep it, I would say yes. Because to me, it's like I'm not paying the revenue to them. Like it's not a concession because getting to work with Gersh, even if they're like part of an entrenched system that I don't believe in, I still feel like it's a humble brag for the future. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Gersh is taking out my film. CAA has got my film. Like there's something really powerful about that in this ridiculous nepotistic industry mm-hmm. that we, we work in. So um, and I also want to say, though, what's very specific about your situation is I work mainly with documentaries, dramas, comedies. You know, um, I don't necessarily work in genre as as a rep because I don't know genre platforms and I have no relationships with genre distributors except for like maybe terror. And I mean, there's just like a very small handful mm-hmm. um, handful. So I just want to acknowledge that the sales reps that have approached you may be really good at finding placement for genre work mm-hmm. and that that's a different caliber of company than the one that like than like an agency or like a real than like a cinetic or a submarine could do for you. Yeah. Like what I've been looking at um, is like doing exactly what you said earlier, like just looking at the movies that, that they're repping and like what's on their website and then like mm-hmm. just seeing the sci-fi category specifically. And then if it's like a bunch of, you know, battle Los Angeles ripoff movies or like, you know, like whatever superhero ripoff movies, which is like, there are a ton of these. It's like, hmm, does my movie really fit in that kind of category of sci-fi? Or is there like, you know, just trying to find movies that feel like my movie, you know, and like don't like doesn't seem like a mismatch, like you said, you know, and that's sort of what I'm looking at more than anything is trying to find a place where it feels like my movie would be happy sitting next to one of their other movies, you know? Well. For what it's worth, and I haven't seen the latest cut, if someone were to say to me, I have a sci-fi film, and I was trying to think of advice for career advice and a distributor that would help your career, for me, it would be like Gunpowder and Sky has a platform called Dust. Right. And it's like Gunpowder and Sky is really cool. It's a legitimate brand. It has a lot of cachet. Dust would be a specialized sci-fi platform that you could live on. You know, I don't know if you'd make a lot of money, but I am a optics person so for me i'd go for like the most sparkly brand Mm -hmm. because i don't think we're making a lot of money as as truth be told um so you should pick something that makes you look the best Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that would be cool they actually reached out to me about my first short film and uh i was like ah, it's already out and they're like oh you know i probably (laughs) should have just listened to them and like taken it off of whatever and gone with them that would have been smarter but i didn't know who they were you don't know that they were going to take it for sure either and you said that that first film was the one that got you a lot of eyeballs yeah yeah anyways this has been interesting i mean i don't know if we want to talk about this but like yeah i just also been overwhelmed and um feeling like very emotional about this whole process of uh film festivals you know like like getting rejected by them, you know, which is fine and like totally makes sense. Like in a lot of the rejections are like ones I've been expecting, you know, but then like I also get acceptances and it's like the acceptances don't really feel as good as I think they should. You know, it's like I should be more happy when I get into like, you know, X underground film festival, but it's like, you know, it just doesn't 
it's not buoying my spirits the same way that I get crushed when, you know, Fantastic Fest rejects me, you know? It's yeah. just like, ah, but maybe that's just a personal thing. And I need to, like, work on, like, being more excited about uh, the, no. the, the things I do get. <laughs> you know? No, because you, if you got a yes from Fantastic Fest, it means more than getting a yes from x underground right right so of course the rejection from the festival you really wanted to get into right. hurts you more right um and also we're at a global pandemic where yet again people are ramping up and closing down you know where what happened last fall is happening again yeah and so it's not like there were there are a ton of in-person events that you are looking to right now i know you have a few obviously yeah but a lot of a lot of things are going virtual again yeah and i don't know i guess it's also just this like thought of like am i doing enough for my movie am i like making all of the right moves and like reaching out and promoting it enough and i just feel like you know like i'm doing a good amount but i don't feel like i'm doing enough and i just feel like there's probably not ever enough that i could do that would make me feel good about this but i mean yeah, definitely need to be doing more, but it's just like there's just so much to do, like trying to finish the movie, making it a teaser trailer. Like we were talking about last week, it's like all this work that you have to do and like trying to prioritize like what's the most important, you know? And like to yeah. some extent, it's just like getting all the, you know, materials to the festival. That's like the most important is like getting all the festivals right. what they need. And it's like that's the baseline. And it's like on top of that, oh, sending out posters, sending out postcards. It's like, ah, whatever. But I mean,. I think I can just do all I can and just do the best I can and just be happy with it and, you know, keep going, right? Well, my cynical response, which I do believe, is that everything you do for your film is going to bring back a very small return. <laughs> Anything you do right now is probably not going to tip you into overnight success territory. Right. Right. So, yeah, prioritize your sanity, prioritize your family, prioritize the most important tasks. And then if you have time, do those little icing on the cake things in mm -hmm. terms of promotion, in terms of getting attention. But I think to put pressure and maybe even like some guilt on yourself for not doing every possible thing is really bad because, um, you know, and festivals work really, really hard. But that, that, you know, the festivals you're playing in general and any filmmakers playing is not going to do everything. Like nothing's going to. The machinations of this industry are so far from us that it's like very hard to like get access to a place where you feel like you're included. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So it's like everything you're doing is going to amplify your portfolio as a filmmaker and your film. But you're you yourself you're not going to turn this movie into an overnight success from all the things on your to-do list right so right. just do the things that you want to do yeah yeah is that mean i no, know i hope that's no, not, it's not it mean. Is very negative it, it, no i think it makes sense it's just like yeah like postcards aren't gonna like shake it's not gonna earth, change everything you know it's not no. gonna be like oh my god you didn't do postcards your movie's a failure it's it's, it's right. more like yeah, it's just a thing you can do if that's what you want to do, and and that's it's a, a slight added bonus. Yeah, and if it takes more than four hours of your time to do it, 
maybe you don't do it. And there's only so know? much money you can put into these things because obviously I don't have a marketing budget right. set aside, so it's all coming out of my pocket. Right. So it's like, do I want to go to one more film festival in person or do I want to hand out postcards at one less film festival in person? It's like, right. what's more important? Where is that 100 bucks going to go, you know? It's like, or do you want to just stay home and hang out with your family for a few hours? You know what I mean? Like right. that also is an option. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to go and like watch your favorite movie for a few hours? That might be worth it too. Yeah, yeah, very well said. I mean, you're making me feel better, believe it or not. Good. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, I yeah, think- don't let the world crush you with like, oh, I'm not doing enough Instagram posts. I'm not doing enough this. I'm not doing enough seed spark updates. I'm not doing enough. It's like every filmmaker, you know, has a spreadsheet of rejection, just so you know. Yeah, we all have it. And we all have been through those emails where you're just like, whoa, two in one day. I can't take it anymore. You know, just just one last little funny story. I think I don't know if I talked about this online or offline, but uh, I I, maybe it was offline. But I was like, okay, you know, I haven't heard back from, you know, like all these film festivals. I submitted the movie like four months ago to these festivals and it's like gone now it's finished so like i'm a month away or like a week away from the deadlines on these festivals let me like reach out to them and remind them that my movie exists and that there's a new version so if i'm in the running still like they can watch like the newest version so i sent out 10 emails and i kid you not within maybe two minutes of sending one of the emails or five minutes of sending out one of the emails i got a rejection from one of those festivals (laughs) They're like, okay, so oh, you want to check really in? really bad coincidence. They're, oh, yeah, you want to <laughs> check in? Rejected. <laughs> and then that day, I think I got three, two more from other film festivals who I had emailed to, just to let me know, like, nope, you're not. <laughs> so I, I feel like part of me, like the, 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 the really positive Olic brain is like, oh, well, that means the other ones that didn't reject me immediately, I'm still in the running for those. So hmm, yeah. I have a chance. Maybe yeah. they are taking another look. And like the negative brain could have been like, oh, they're all rejected <laughs> Well, yeah, that's the Liz brain. Um, Okay, but let's talk about, where was I going with this? Oh, it's that filmmakers are very, first of all, I think we're really sensitive people. Uh But the other part of it is that, like, we, okay, so my, I think I've talked about this in the show before, but you have to be to a degree delusional to make a film in the first place because you have to convince yourself that it's a really good idea to do this high-risk venture with very low guarantee of return, right? So you're a little bit in a weird, chaotic mental state. And then you just want someone to say it was worth it. And then film festivals are like, bam, 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 bam. Let me poke you and prod you and pour lemon juice on your wounds. So I'm just saying that, like, it's extra hard because it's a personal film. You've been working on it so hard. And because you're putting a lot of power in the corner of film festivals. Yeah. And because they're the very first audience for you. And you feel like maybe, I'm guessing, um, that it may be some sort of um, harbinger. But it's not. It's just a film festival. It's just a film festival. Yeah. It means It means it's important in that little corner of the world yeah and the film festival corner yeah it's not everything and i just got rejected from a film festival today today or yesterday for my short and last week for the same short been rejected pretty regularly for that short. we've had three acceptances and i think everything else is going to be a rejection so how many did you apply to 
I think we only applied to like 12, but that's because it actually we had to all agree on the 12 festivals uh, and it became and it was contractually obligated. Like it became like a written rule that we had to apply to those film festivals. Mm. Um, but for for the next film, I'm ready. I'm ready to get rejected over and over and over again. Do you feel like 12 is like a good number to submit to for a short no, film? It should be much higher than that. What do you think the number should be? Like 30, base. And base what, 30. what about for a feature? Same or more? Like 50. Yeah. Yeah. I, now I'm like, I have this. I'm so insane, Liz. I don't know what to do for myself. But now I'm like, I apply to too many. No. I applied to 80. Why did I apply to 80? I'm insane. I think I applied to maybe 100, 80 to 100 for yeah. my first feature. And then like maybe 60 for my second feature. Yeah. I think I applied to be real with myself. I think I applied to like 95. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm like, holy shit, Alec, are you just a stupid moron? Like, why are you applying to so many Because you want your movie seen because you care about it so much. Again, these are all like positive things. And I just think that there are too many film festivals. Yeah. And I think that there's um, a lot. I don't want there to be less filmmakers, but I'm just acknowledging that there are too many. Well, and there are too many films being made. I think what I did wrong was I, I applied to ones that my movie would probably never get into like like napa valley i probably shouldn't apply to um, why you could have you i mean i know that from what you're saying you, i you didn't, didn't get, get in I but like <laughs> right but i don't think that's a no i i played napa valley and i know the other films that played napa Valley. i think that you could have gotten yeah, in but, to napa valley but no no napa valley films are going to have the ending my napa valley film my film has, you know, like n no movies are that bloody and gory, right? That are playing in Napa Valley, or do they have bloody, gory movies at Napa Valley? I think they do, though. Yeah. I don't think that they're like exploitation city, you know. But yeah. but I like, you know, like I applied to like Oldenburg and Cork and like the Coney Island, even or like Woodstock. Like these are not the film festivals. I don't well, think for genre. Coney film. Island is not a film festival of note but um <laughs> so just to throw that into there yeah, don't, don't, don't don't apply to them anyways <laughs> yeah don't include cody island but i think you need to apply to international film i never applied to international film mm. festivals and i always regret it i always wish i did one of the things i've done right this time is i've applied to a bunch of uh, genre f film festivals that are international so like there's a bunch of Good. italian ones and german Good. ones um and you know some uh there's like a brazilian one that i applied to and like a few um, in um, you know Spain that I apply to, so I feel like those ones are the ones that I kind of feel like we have a better shot at, you know. And like, like going back in my mind, it's like, why are you applying to like non? If they don't say like, if they don't mention genre in their film freeway thing, I should ignore right. them. Like, like one I got into, which yeah. I can't say yet. It's like they're not letting me, but it's a it's a pretty good one. I told you offline, they had genre like listed in their list of like you know what they give awards for and they have yeah. like a genre section and it's like if they don't have that I, I should not apply and I totally broke that rule like I applied to too many film festivals that didn't have genre listed and you know I mean because you're in the what if you're like online you're looking and you're like well maybe yeah what if and like, I prob yeah. probably shouldn't apply to Sundance anymore. Like, I probably should just stop applying to Sundance. But, like, part of me is like, oh, if you don't apply to Sundance, then you'll never get into Sundance. So, like, maybe you should just still apply to Sundance. Like, I don't know. Anyways, these are all the emotions and things I'm feeling right now. Um, whatever. <laughs> People could probably relate. But uh, I don't know. I think the, the bottom line is, like, I've gotten into, like, 
like I've, I've heard back from like probably 25 plus or so maybe and I've gotten into like seven so like my percentage is actually pretty good that's pretty good yeah it's not bad like you know so I shouldn't really be complaining I should be feeling really positive but I think the thing yeah. that's killing me is I'm not as excited as I should be about how many film festivals I gotten into I should be more excited you know I should be like oh my god I've gotten into seven holy shit it's wow. amazing but like I just Welcome can't... to being Liz. This is uh, what Liz's life is like all the time. Yeah. I don't know. I'm trying it's to turn the corner. Negativity. Just be like, yes, this is amazing. I'm going to have all these freaking laurels. All these people are going to see the movie. It's great. But I think it'll happen in a few months for you. Maybe. If I only get to this one film festival, then everything will be good, Liz. If I just get into this one, then my life will be perfect. You're I, like the, um, what is it, the gambler, like the like addicted gambler, just like, just got to hit once. Right. Just got to get got to get my snake eyes or whatever. Like, you're just yeah, like, I, I feel like that's like something that like we need to like really work on as filmmakers is like not putting so much weight onto one film festival and not feeling that way and not being like, oh, I need to get into this one in order for my film to have meaning. It's like, fuck that line of thought. Like, you may never get into that X film festival or any, like, 20 of these X festivals that are, like, really important to you as a filmmaker. So, like, don't put so much pressure on yourself. Just, like, be happy with that you play any film, film festival because it's so hard to get into film festivals, you know? Well, there's, there's two camps, right? Like, either you reverse engineer your film to actually be considered at those film festivals where you go after the name cast that play those film festivals, you team up with a team who's alumni of those film festivals or or you don't care. Yeah. You can't you can't like not play the game and then get upset at the game. Right. I think. I think you just to me it's like I I don't know. I'd rather just make movies rather than like worrying about like getting like, you know, like C-level version of Ryan Reynolds in my movie or like Whatever, some whatever actor like it's like who cares like. So don't play the game, Ulrich. Then you just reminding yourself, don't play the game. Get the best actor that you possibly can to do the best performance that you possibly can, and then if you can get some name people in, great. But like you know, when you're making an under million dollar movie, like trying to get name cast is like you know, I don't know, trying to do something impossible. Like fly. I am like, gonna counter yet again. I you do. You, you, you've done it. Yeah, but you're like such an outlier, Liz. There's so few people who have made movies. I thought I was an outlier, and then Matt Enloe told me that many people do what I do, and I was just uh, like, really? Matt Enloe's up. That's not true. There's not. There, I mean, how many people have gotten like you know names like you have gotten in your movies for a hundred thousand dollar movie? For, for those. Probably None. they just um, my budget level smaller than those other oh, movies yeah. that he's talking for about. For sure. Like maybe yeah. for a half million dollar movie, like that's like probably increases the the amount of people who are doing that, you know? But like For sure. My my so my my buddy, uh, my producer, I can't really talk about what movie it is, but he's doing a movie for, you know, a lot of money, way more than the we work on, and he couldn't get any cast that was appropriate for this production company. So the production company left the project because they couldn't get enough people. Well, and he already had his money yeah. money like raised and they're making the movie and they're like, oh, well, we're not going to take it on because you couldn't get like X person in the movie. That is real though. Like I'm running into that with some of my projects where like all the people on my list that I want to work with that I think are name cast, that if I were self-financing it, I would go after these people are not big enough for the rest of my team. Right. The teams that we want for that is a very real problem. Which is and you know crazy. That, but that list of people that that production co- company probably is thinking of is like 
eight people. It's like a very small list. Yeah, I, I wish I could say some of the names that are on yeah. this list that like are like, I don't even want that person in my movie. Like, right. I, I want better people than that, you know? Yeah. And it's just like, but they, they, and they have this budget, which to us would be like super high. They haven't raised. They still can't get these people in the movie, you know? And they're not like Hugh Jackman names. They're like names that you'd be like, oh yeah, that person. No, but they're calculated for markets, right? Yeah. It's like that market really loves that actor or like has performed well with other types. It's, it's math. But it's very frustrating because it allows no imagination and it doesn't allow us to be do what we really want to do, right? right? Which is to work with great talent to to watch the magic up front. And it makes it harder for talent to like explode because it's like it's all based on these math algorithms and you can't put like another actor who's like great, been in plenty of things, but like they can't be in the movie because they don't match the algorithm the way that, you know, I'm just going to say it, Ryan Felipe does or whatever, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's funny. Um, that's an interesting name because there's a lot of, like, late 90s talent that's still really, really meaningful. Right. And it's um, hilarious to me because I, you know. Yeah. Like, I was. Cares? I wanted you to be like, yeah, that's one of the names that I've been hearing. <laughs> no. I mean, the names I'm hearing are, like, Kate Blanchett. You know, it's, like, like Aubrey well, Plaza. I don't know. Oh, Someone well, that's, like, on a really whole another huge. level. That's, like... You know, yeah. that's like a $10 million movie problem, you know, whatever. Right. I'm talking more like, you know, smaller than that. <laughs> but No, I know. But the, the math doesn't work out. And it's like you have to keep your budget low. Even if you have a lower budget film, even if you have a half a million dollar film, you have to have cast of a certain level for financiers to be right. secure in what they're and, doing. And getting those people in a half million dollar film is like you have to be their friend. In order for it to work. Right. Because what I always did, right, was scale. Was scale for talent and MFN. So everyone was getting scale. So there wasn't this bullshit politics hierarchy in how I cast my films. But if you were above a micro-budget feature, you are now, like, people are like, why are you paying me scale? You have way more money. I deserve more money. And then you have to play the game. So it's actually difficult and then you get priced out of these people really fast because like your budget you know might be higher than you know micro micro but it's still not high enough to like be throwing like these huge contracts at all your stars you know because it's not just the day rate it's like they i forgot what it's called but it's like schedule something schedule f maybe yeah where you like toss a little money their way to like uh consider to to as a gift it feels like um to give actors like I heard about an actress who did something for $75,000 and that was thought of as very low. And I was like, oh, well, yeah, we don't have an extra $75,000 $75, in our budget. It's like, oh, my God. That's like you can get ludicrous if you pay, if you start at that level and then maybe you have to offer him a little bit more than that, you know. And oh, then I'm sure. Maybe you, you can, I'm sure more. But my, way more. my production designer worked on a movie that ludicrous was in, you know, and, and I think it was only like a two to three million dollar movie or maybe even less. You know, but like that was probably what they he was getting wow. was like Schedule F, you know. And I was talking to a casting director and I was like, I threw Ludacris out in there and they're like, oh, yeah, if you start at Schedule F, like maybe he'll listen, you know. It's just like, ah, oh, God, I can't do that. That's like half my budget. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Also, then it's like your crew. Like, what are you paying your crew in order to get that for you? You know, it's like yeah. there's just like this weird um 
uh, power imbalance. Um, we don't have time to for You've Got Mail, though. Uh, I think we had too good of a conversation. Too um, good. And yeah. <laughs> um, but um, should I take us out? Oh, oh. But just a reminder that this is the last week to win two free tickets to Ulrich's film. The premiere on September 11th at 11.55 p.m. They are free to give away to the most exciting individual who wants it. And we're running it on Twitter. So come on Twitter, follow us. And we want you to answer the question of what would the alternate, alternate universe of your life be? Has anyone responded yet? No. <laughs> Damn but it. we've gotten like a ton of retweets but just no one has responded and i think a lot of i mean to be super candid i think a lot of people that listen to the show do not live in la and I so i don't true. think that they can make it and we can't fly you out from wherever you sorry. are sorry unfortunately yeah but uh maybe i'll be coming to your town with the movie because we we do have uh-huh. there's two more in-person screenings coming that i can't announce yet but um, they're in different parts of uh, America. So actually completely opposite parts. So uh, yeah, that's very exciting. So I don't know. Keep you posted. Um, Stay tuned. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so if you would like to send us a question, comment, or suggestion to do so, please, to podcast at makingmoviesishard.com. If you like the show, you can leave a review on iTunes. We would love that. You could go to our YouTube page, leave a comment or a question, support the show on Patreon, www.patreon.com slash podcast. Give whatever you can and it's truly appreciated. And uh, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Thank you to whoever, I'm, I'm going to be vague about this because I don't want our cards to be shown, but whoever gave us a gift on Instagram. Thank you very much. Um, and YouTube. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter at MMIH Podcast and YouTube at Making Movies is Hard Podcast. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And thanks to Elza Caphart for coming on the show, talking about Slacks. That was awesome. And to Tatum Wan from Katrina Wan PR for setting up the interview. Thank you so much, Tatum. You can check out our website at makingmoviesishard.com uh, where things to, links to the things on this episode will be posted at some point. Um, and uh, yeah, thanks to Editor Cameron for doing the editing. And we'll talk to you guys next week. who's worth it to be here with instead. So, anyways, <laughs> I think I should just redo this whole thing. This is terrible. What? No! Okay, if you want to, but there's a, at least one good option in there that okay. you've already done. All right, well, uh, Cameron. Cameron, Cameron, what should I do for you? Should I do it again or just let you <laughs> figure that out? <laughs> I'm here, I'm screaming at his computer, do it again! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm going to do it again. Okay. Welcome to Mickey Moves is Hard, the podcast about... Bleh. This is your... See, this is beautiful, beautiful blooper material, um, Cameron. <laughs> Welcome to Mickey Moves is Hard, the podcast about... Be- the. I haven't had a, such a rough start in a long time. Blah, blah, blah. Sophie's <sighs> very sure and I'm a bitch. <laughs> exactly. We don't even need to play the clip. Just play that. Play that.